Well, here's our final message. And I'm going to pray for us, and then um, we'll open up the Bible. Father God, thank you uh, for today. Thank you that, uh, for all the new things that you're doing and for uh, things that we're wrapping up together. Lord, we know that your work in our lives uh, is not complete yet. So we come to you today as people who are still trusting that you are not finished with us yet. Lord, help us to relate to you that way. Help us to relate to one another that way. And help us to have eyes to see what's going on around us. Help us to be able to have your perspective of reality and not just our own limited, naive perspective. Lord, we ask that you would help our eyes, our awareness to grow, our wisdom to grow. And today as we talk about um, always being ready to resist the devil and to stand in God's grace. Father, I pray that you'd make that real for each one of us today in whatever ways you know we need it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, today we actually have two passages we're going to wrap up on. Because I don't know if you noticed, but the last time that I stood up here, I skipped a big passage. And uh, it's a passage that uh, one of my favorite Bible scholars tells a story about attending a church where they skipped that passage, and he never showed up at that church again. And so I'm hoping to uh, right that wrong and uh, go over that passage, because it totally goes along with the final passage of 1 Peter chapter 5. Similar topic, and uh, let's see how we can be encouraged by it this morning. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone or iPad, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to be starting at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We start, I started out the uh, first message of this series with looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 and the idea that the goal of Peter's writing this letter was may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And now in the final passage, that's what he reviews. That's what he goes over. And, but it's in the context of our adversary, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and we must resist that and stand firm in our faith. And the encouragement of grace and peace being multiplied to you comes through, okay, whatever this battle looks like and however we're brought through it in difficulty and loss and struggle and maybe being aged by that journey, that in the end, we will be restored after it. And, you know, I think of what Jesus said of, you know, when we, whatever we've given up, 
whatever we've invested, whatever we've lost for the sake of God's kingdom, that is restored many times over. One gospel says a hundredfold, a hundredfold blessing in this age and in the age to come. So whatever, we're, whatever this thing is that we'll talk about today, facing, being aware and sober of that lion that's looking to gulp us up, because that is, uh, the Greek word gives that sense, so that the lion is ready to, in one gulp, take us down. We need to be sober and aware, and whatever we go through and how it all ends is restoration. God restoring us, confirming us, strengthening us, and establishing us through all of that. I don't know about you, but for me, every day I wish was the final day that I'm struggling against the work of the dark powers, of the devil, of that lion. But as long as we are here, in the here and now, between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of all those who believe in him, while we're in this period, there will be struggle. And those moments where we have happiness, praise the Lord for those, and the moments that there's difficulty, we're also supposed to count those times with joy as well. Knowing that God is at work, and one thing I just keep bringing to my mind is this, we are here for the struggle. We are here for the struggle. Do you know that actually that's one of the reasons why we're a church family? When something comes up in church life and church, oh, I wish we were just all perfect and nothing ever went wrong and we had all the... No. We're here because we're all different, we're all incomplete, and we need the struggle for God's refining work to happen in our lives. And church, family is one of the ways that that happens. Everyday real life is another way that that happens. But why did Peter choose a lion to represent the devil? A lot of times we think of the devil as being a guy in red pajamas. He's got a tail, he's got a pitchfork, and he's uh, heavily featured in the Far Side comics. We think of that character. Well, in our day and age, and as we mix up our, our Christianity and our spiritual growth with it, there's kind of two extremes. One extreme is this, is that um, in our culture, we just kind of removed spiritual forces and dark powers and the devil in his pajamas out the door. We don't believe in that anymore. While others in our spiritual journeys, sometimes we can overemphasize the role of the devil and behind everything is a dark power. Well, there's a spectrum there. And I don't know where you are on that spectrum. I'm not even sure where I am on that spectrum. But I hope through going through these passages this morning, we can kind of gauge, hey, do I need to be more aware of the spiritual powers of darkness and how they influence my life and society? Or am I getting too amped up about those things? And maybe need to take, um, sometimes it's more personal responsibility. Right? So let's look at that together. Why a lion? Why a lion? Well, if you want to uh, flip quickly, you can, but I'll do it for you. Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22 and verse 21. Save me from the mouth of the lion. <laughs> Is that, could there be like a better connection than that? 
save me from the mouth of the lion. The psalmist, David, is crying out, save me from the mouth of the lion. So the lion is that which is seeking to devour God's people. Those who have devoted their lives in service and calling. The first week in 1 Peter, we looked at the idea that we are, um, we are chosen and we are in exile. We are God's people, not yet in our homeland. The original recipients of 1 Peter, they were from the, the region of uh, Turkey. And for here, we are in Bloomington in America, in the 21st century. But it's the same. And the lion is still looking for whom he can devour in one gulp. Now, Psalm 22, depending on how familiar you are with the Bible, something might have gone ding, 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 ding in your head when you thought, of, I see one head nodding, Psalm 22. And it's a passage that we look at in the upcoming Friday, on Good Friday, uh, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? This was quoted by Jesus when he was on the cross. Why? Was the lion, were the lions, were the dogs, all the animals that are mentioned in this passage, were they after him? Were they doing their worst to him? Yes, yes, and yes. But Jesus calls that passage to mind in the hearers when he calls out in prayer to his heavenly Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is how, at the time, Jewish people understood how to reference their Bible. They did not have chapter and verse, but the first words of a chapter of the Bible, of a portion of the Bible, could represent the rest of the passage. So what is Jesus doing on the cross? He's calling out in real prayer, but he's also calling out saying, I am experiencing this of what, of what David wrote about. And we know that David was filled with the Holy Spirit when he wrote. And we know that this is what? It's a type of Christ. It's a looking forward to what Christ would experience on the cross. And all over 1 Peter, when it talks about that sometimes in our faith, we endure suffering, we're called to endure difficult times. Peter keeps going back to, well, this is the, what Christ did. This is what Christ did for us. Just as Christ suffered, so must we from time to time. And so Psalm 22, I challenge you to read it uh, later, not while I'm talking. That would be extremely rude. But read Psalm 22 and unpack that in this context. That just like David, just like Jesus on the cross, just like you and me living in the here and now, in the time of struggle. Read it that way. Spoiler alert. It's the same content as 1 Peter. Those who go through those times, they will be restored, confirmed, and reestablished. So Jesus, and this is just my take on this, when Jesus was calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My take is this, that he was calling that passage to mind in prayer to his heavenly Father, knowing that he was not forsaken. That he was, in a sense, forsaken on the cross as he had the sin of the world put upon him, 
and defeated the dark powers in that act where the lions and everything were doing its worst to him and exhausted that power. But at the same time, Psalm 22 speaks of the restoration that follows it, of Jesus' ancestors, David's ancestors, that counted God as faithful even in the midst of difficult times. And that's what they looked forward to. That's what Jesus, I believe, on the cross was looking forward to, that he would be raised on the third day after accomplishing the mission of defeating evil and sin and its consequences First Peter chapter 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. There's the application. That is the application. We need to live with our eyes open. Our literal eyes and our metaphorical or figurative eyes. We need to be people who every day we are striving to become more aware. Aware of our lives. Aware of yeah, what's in the Bible. But aware of where we are living in the here and now and what's going on in our society. Let me give one example of this. When 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, these were new Christians in a brand new movement in the world. This was the beginning of the church. These people were in, intimidated. These people were like, well, are we on the right track? Because it seems like it's not all going easy and everyone's, oh yeah, I'll do that, I'll join. Yeah, no, there was a lot of difficulty as they were ostracized and, and maybe even you know, strategically persecuted. And those original Christians were a part of a new movement. For us, we are not a part of a new movement. We are part of the old movement, actually. In that we live in a society where so many people think they've been there, done that with Christianity. And so our ways of being aware and being sober-minded is to understand, hopefully, what some people are thinking when they see us as Christians in what we're proclaiming and what we're doing and, and how we talk about Christ. I don't envy these people that First Peter was written to, but I also don't envy us. We have a challenge on our hands. The challenge is that everybody or so many people think they know what Christianity is or they know enough of it that it's false. Or even worse, that it's harmful, what we do. That is the growing situation in our society. And if we will be an effective witness in the midst of that misunderstanding and the rejection and all that, we need to begin to relate to people as if, they've, as if they think they've already heard it all or enough to reject it. And that is why, for me as Chris Pahalchuk, why I am so excited about something like the Alpha Course that provides people the opportunity with all their baggage and hurt and what they think they know and don't know to come to a place that they're welcomed 
to join the table, to get to know friendly people, but then get into the actual message of Christ and ask people, what do you think about that? Because you've probably heard stuff along the way that you think is true, and therefore you don't want to make Christianity your life and your faith. I'm so excited about the Alpha Course because it gives people opportunity to hear the message in, a, in an articulate and gentle and true manner, scriptural manner, but then gives the people opportunity to share their opinion. And I know like a lot of us, we think like, we don't need their opinion. We have the right opinion. Why do I need to waste my time with someone else's opinion? Someone else might hear that opinion, and that might cause them to not be into our opinion. No, no, no. Many people do not have the opportunity to express their faith through the things that they say, through their own words. It's in their heads, little sound bites, little YouTube videos, TikToks, whatever, and that's what they pick up, and that sticks to them, and they just go. But when all of us are, take the opportunity to express what we believe, sometimes what comes out of our mouths surprises us and actually can be a part of the healing and the journey towards understanding what God and who Jesus really is. So as Christians, a lot of the times, we doing evangelism in this culture, being sober and aware of what it's like. I think it looks a lot like that in a lot of contexts. One way, but I think it's a needed way in our context. One way that we are not, when we, if we, we work against being sober and alert when we bury ourselves in our Christian corner. We become far more aware when we get with people who are not believers and we hear what they're saying. And then we can hear things like, oh, the good that I do, you actually think that might be causing harm in this world? That is weird. Are goods spoken evil of? That is this generation. This is this cultural moment right now. That's it. We need to be aware of that or else the devil will gobble us up, gobble up our witness, and we'll be shooting ourselves in the foot and cutting the branch that we're resting upon. It is a challenge. It's a real challenge. But I don't know, at some point in my Christian life, I just realized, hey, um, Chris, it's never wrong to hear someone else's opinion on a matter, even if you have real conviction about it. You're only going to be made better for listening. You're going to understand people and how to love them more when you hear where they're coming from in their mind. And those people are only going to benefit from the opportunity to share. So, here's the passage we didn't go through. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. A little rewind, 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you would like to look more into this topic, then I recommend that you get the book Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. Or if you uh, don't like reading books that much, you can actually just go on YouTube and put Dr. Michael Heiser and... Get on to the YouTube, and you can learn lots of what's going on um, with his perspective on these things. But here is a passage that Dr. Michael Heiser tells the story of him and his wife moved to Wisconsin 
they were checking out different churches, and one of the churches that they went through went to were preaching through First Peter. They got to this particular passage, and as he tells the story, he says the pastor said, oh, this is a lot of confusing stuff. I don't even know what it means. Let's skip it. And he said it was the first time ever he'd been in a church service where just the preacher said, we're going to skip it. We're going to go on. And here is the passage, and maybe you'll be thinking, I hope Chris skips this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been made subject to him. Now, there are multiple views on this passage, and I, we're not going to take the time to do that. I'm going to pick one view and preach it that way, all right? And this has everything to do, in this view, with who is being talked about, or fit into the category of the angels, authorities, and powers that have been made subject to Christ through his resurrection and through his ascension. Here's what's really cool. Here's a little teaser trailer for you. Next week, Start a new mini-series. A lot can happen in seven days. We're going to be talking about Palm Sunday. The week after that is Easter. We're going to be talking about, uh, about the resurrection of Christ and what that means. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about the ascension. Matt Harbour is going to be bringing that message to us. So I don't want to steal his thunder, but in this passage, this is the end result, is that what Jesus has done on the cross has defeated these powers. He rules over these. But what in the world is going on with spirits in prison, Noah's Ark, and baptism? Isn't that a wonderful little hot dish of concepts right there? Well, in this view, which you can learn more about once again from the Unseen Realm and Dr. Michael Heiser, is that who is being referred to here? are the spiritual beings that rebelled in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. If you have a young person in your house, in your home, that has kind of like, you know, done everything through the Bible and is kind of bored of it, just introduce Genesis chapter 6 to them, and they will be interested immediately. What is going on in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4? Well, in this view, this view, depend, this view articulates that Peter, when he's writing 1 Peter, has something on his mind. And what he has on his mind is a book that was really, really popular during the lifetime of Jesus and his disciples and the early church. A book that was really, really popular. It was called The Prayer of Jabez. No, just kidding. No, the book that was really popular was called First Enoch. First Enoch, a book that we don't have in our Bible, 
but actually Peter refers to blatantly in his next epistle, 2 Peter. And stories from 1 Enoch are mentioned in Jude, that short epistle just before the book of Revelation. Here, it seems, Peter is referencing that story where in 1 Enoch, 1 Enoch is written from the perspective that the Enoch we know from Genesis is, is having these experiences. Now, historically, that's not really what happened, but this was a popular book that people knew in this day and age. And here's how the story goes. The spiritual beings that rebelled in Genesis chapter 6 were put into prison in the underworld. We don't have, if you read Genesis chapter 6, you don't have that part of the story there. That part of the story comes from 1st Enoch. Peter references it. Why? Well, he tells the story that when Jesus died, in the spirit, he went to this domain to do something. Now, other views kind of see this as maybe people that have died in the past. But once again, we're doing a different view. We're doing the view that this is Genesis 6. And it's obviously First Enoch that First Peter is that Peter is drawing from. But what's what's Jesus doing, and what's the meaning? Number one, in First Enoch, Enoch is the one who visits the underworld, and those spiritual beings say to him, "Will you go and make a case for us to be released from by the Almighty, by the heavenly throne room, by God?" And so Enoch's like, okay, I'll go see. Enoch has a vision, and the answer is, no, you need to go reprimand those spirits, that what they did is still remembered, and they are in chains, and they are defeated. In 1 Peter, it's Jesus now that has that role. And once again, like we see all over the Bible, it's a type that Jesus, like he's the second Adam, in Paul's writings, here he's the second Enoch. This is wacko stuff. I know it sounds wacko, doesn't it? Well, it's just because we're not familiar with that book. In this time and age, they'd be totally familiar with it. But anyway, Jesus now is like a second Enoch that through his death and resurrection, he has defeated the dark powers. And those rebellious spiritual beings that wreaked havoc in God's creation back in Genesis 6 are reminded by Jesus, you have lost. You have been defeated. Your power has been broken to those that believe in me. Now, how does baptism come in here? Noah's Ark is on water and saves people. Here, this is where Baptists get really nervous. Baptism saves people? There's, it just said baptism saves. It's in the context of Jesus' death and resurrection, obviously. But what's going on here? And this is something from the early church times when people did get baptized, is this. A part of the baptism ritual in the early church was that the people that were getting baptized would denounce the idols and the dark powers in their life. What Peter, why Peter brings up baptism here is because he's saying that as Jesus went and proclaimed his victory to these spirits of old, so when someone gets baptized, that's what's going on too. It's a declaration, and we know this like from the book of Romans, that being into the water is like being buried with Christ, out of the water is being raised to a new life, correct? In Christ. In this 
part of it, it adds something more. That the lion, that the spiritual beings, that the dark forces of evil have been defeated over and over again every time someone's baptized. You lose again. Someone is rescued from the jaws of the lion, from the jaws of death. So when there's baptism, it's a crazy event. I think a great sign of a church's spiritual health is baptism. I really do. I think we can have a good idea that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing when we see people getting baptized regularly. And when we get baptized, it's like getting married. You say all the vows, you don't know what the heck that means. But it comes up later, right? Oh yeah, those vows. Oh my goodness. It's the same with baptism. That's why Paul, the apostle in Romans, always tells Christians, when you're doubting and you're struggling, look back to your baptism. Look back to your baptism because of what's been done there. So think about your baptism. Being baptized in Christ. When you went under, it's a reminder to the powers of darkness in the world that they have lost. forever, and specifically over your own life, that you've been rescued, you've been saved. I think that uh, for what I experienced, because there's been such a heavy emphasis that baptism doesn't save you, even though it's kind of worded like that in the Bible, but of course a bigger concept. Anyway, it seems like we have a lot of common law Christians where we think, well, baptism isn't the most important thing. I'll wait till down the road to do that. No, baptism actually is the first thing. Show and to tell the story, to tell your testimony is the baptism. Powers defeated, sin washed away, buried with Christ, died for my sin on the cross, raised out to new life, life devoted to Christ. Right. We'll close here with the end of First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Same language, right? Because Jesus is Lord, all the struggle becomes worth it because he's going to restore all of that, whatever we have to go through. And then he talks about Silvanus, or possibly the same person as Silas from other mentions in the New Testament, being his faithful brother. I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. The whole way the recipients of 1 Peter are thinking, is this what we signed up for? Is this the struggle we're having and the difficulty of it and the doubt and the person? Is this what we signed up for? Is this God's love in my life? Because it doesn't feel like love. And the ending of the letter is that this is the true grace in which you stand. Stand in the grace of God in the midst of all of that. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ. Babylon probably refers to Rome being the people of God's enemy in the sense of where that lion influences power and destruction in the world. And First Peter is saying this. You five regions in Turkey, you are not special. This isn't something that's just to you. 
this is, more people are suffering what you're doing. You're not in this alone. So at this point, we are going to celebrate our conclusion of 1 Peter with greeting, each, greeting one another with the kiss of love. Just kidding, we're not. That's the one passage that we're all okay with. You know what? That's not really, that's more of like a cultural thing, you know. Anyway, we're going to end it with the Lord's Supper. We are going to give thanks to God for what He has done through Jesus Christ on the cross and through His resurrection, through breaking His body and pouring out His blood for us. I'd like to invite the worship team to the front. And how we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning is I'd like to invite people to just come out of their seats and come to the tables here. I'd like to invite the people that are serving this morning to come on up to serve uh, the bread and the cup. And you're going to come up here, you're going to stand up and come to the front, just like kind of like you did at baptism. But communion is, I, I like to think of it as this. Baptism is count me in. The Lord's Supper is you can still count me in. You are welcome to the table to express your faith, your thanksgiving for what God has done through his son Jesus in defeating the dark power, in giving you a way to escape that lion that is seeking to gulp you up.